Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of. I am Jason, and like the stereo MCs, I am connected. And I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. I'm Dave. I'm a person in long-term recovery and also a Zen Buddhist uh, priest. I'm Jenny. I'm also a person in long-term recovery. And we're going to talk about interconnectedness, which is why Dave is here. And because I don't want to botch that all up, I'm just going to let him start. Go for it. Okay. (laughs) Um, All right. There we go. (laughs) Let's start. Um, Quick segue. I, I brought a... I brought a, a short story by a Zen teacher um, that I think is just a really nice way to open up with uh, interconnectedness and the whole idea of that. So this is from the book Opening the Hand of Thought by Uchiyama Roshi. I am now sitting with Sanshin Sangha, uh, which is a change for me, and the founding abbot, uh, Akamura Roshi, this was his teacher in Japan, Uchiyama Roshi. So um, his teachings are very important to this Sangha. And he's got a really nice book here that, that really you know, speaks to so much of Zen in a really eloquent way. So here is the short little story to help us experience some interconnectedness, hopefully. The following story comes from the Edo period in Japan, which is 1600 to 1868. Behind the temple, there was a field where there were many squashes growing on a vine. One day, a fight broke out among them, and the squashes split up into two groups, making, it, making a big racket, shouting at one another. The head priest heard the uproar, and stepping outside to see what was going on, found the squashes quarreling. The priest scolded them in a booming voice, Hey, you squashes, (laughs) what are you doing out there fighting? Everyone do Zazen. Zazen is Zen meditation. Essentially, it's breathing uh, and sitting in a meditation posture. The priest taught them how to do Zazen. Fold your legs like this. Sit up. Straighten your back and neck. While the squashes were sitting Zazen in the way the priest had taught them, their anger subsided and they settled down. The priest said quietly, everyone put your hand on top of your head. When the squashes felt the top of their heads, they found something weird attached there. It turned out to be the vine that connected them all together. This is really strange. Here we've been arguing when actually we're all tied together and living just one life. What a mistake. It's just as the priest said. After that, the squashes all got along with each other quite well. I just keep picturing the little squash baby legs. <laughs> <laughs> well, it actually has illustrations. Oh, it's even better. Illustrations uh, in the book. So, uh, oh, man. People on the podcast might not be able to see it, but look if you want. Little angry squashes, little meditating squashes. Where's my vine? Well, once it started talking about the meditating, I was like, are squashes a term for, like, young Zen practitioners or something? <laughs> like, <laughs> Is this where... 
uh, we got to squash this came from? From this story? I don't know. Huh. Maybe. It's fast for you. <laughs> so, you know, I, I really appreciate that story. I mean, for one thing, it's fun. And it's always nice to connect with a story. Narrations can activate actually more areas of, you know, somebody's brain than just giving information, you know, whether it's by writing it or speaking it. Uh, so, but one of the things I, I think is so important about that story is it's not just that they found, realized that they were connected by this vine. How did they realize that? They realized that through meditation. So the meditation allowed them to open up enough to even be able to finally put their hands, the little squash hands on top of their head and notice that there was a vine there. And so it kind of illustrates the importance of meditation and you know, in our practice, Zen meditation and the ability to let go of self. And that's really the key to realizing interconnectedness is to let go of self. Um, as long as I am focused on the different parts of, that make up me and my thinking and my opinions, um, and really Buddhism teaches that we are uh, made up of five aggregates five skandhas, which are form, the human body, sensations, which can be uh, feelings, emotions, um, conceptions, which are my ideas about the world, usually in like a reactive sense. I see this, I think that, uh, discrimination, the judgmental mind, and awareness or consciousness, which is, you know, what we typically associate with who we actually are, but that's not who we actually are we're a combination of all of those and through meditation and sitting long enough we can realize that fundamentally we're empty fundamentally we don't have an essence that carries on and goes forward and when we realize that we don't have to attach to discrimination to thinking to even you know certain things about our body Say, I'm getting older. Getting older can suck, right? Um, it can be great, too. But as far as the body goes, right, you start aches and pains, can't do what I could do. Um, so there's suffering and feeling attached to that. Anyway, so to realize that all those five things, and there's a whole bunch of depth to each of those five things. Trust me, Buddhism's full of many, many lists that break things apart. Um, when we realize that that's empty, what we actually realize is that it's boundless. And in that boundlessness, if I, if this is truly empty, then actually what am I? I'm just going to leave that question there for now. Maybe we can come back. I don't want to answer it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's for you to answer. <laughs> uh, the first, the thing that came to my mind just as you were kind of talking there, I was thinking about that vine thing. And this probably doesn't matter to anybody, but it was cute to me they reached up top on their head to see their connectedness after they had meditated. Right. And from a therapy lens, like the meditation calms your nervous system dysregulation and turns your cognition back online. So you can reach to the top of your head, prefrontal cortex to actually realize the nuance in life again. So I was like, man, that's a great fucking story. It just fits okay. perfectly in my mind. Yeah, glad you like it. And, um, but at the same time, you know, to, to not be attached to things and, and not being attached to uh, your body, to your feelings and um, being able to be kind of free from that. 
allows you to even look up to feel up i didn't even realize it because i was so focused on this right here so right. attached to the situation this argument right. judgmental thoughts um etc mm-hmm. so. that's interesting there is actually a, a I say a coping strategy or coping technique, but like for people, if you're just driving and you're feeling frustrated with the traffic and everything to just look up, literally just look up above the horizon because it can change the way your brain is operating because we do get this narrow focus down on one thing. So that's, that's pretty interesting. How does this, I want to know how this ties in and I feel like I'm going to take us way away from what you came here to talk about. I'm like, this is my personal life. He's talking about, um, (laughs) Having a lot of these experiences lately and like understanding this, this concept of not the goal being to not be attached or or not push away or pull toward or cling to, you know what I mean? But having this experience recently, um, you know, reflecting on myself, noticing like I have a strong pull to not really want to be away from my people. Like when Monday morning comes after we've had a lovely weekend and, you know, my Mondays start later on. So I'm sitting there and I watch some of the older kids go to school and then I watch the wife go to work and then I watch the younger kids go. And I'm like, I'm left with a pretty heavy kind of empty feeling. Right. And just been like sitting with that and trying to evaluate that. And yesterday realizing while we were at this festival that like. Even though I'm trying to keep that in mind, I am starting with a baseline of. I want to like, I want my wife and me to quit our jobs and for us to spend every waking moment together for the rest of my life. And it hit me yesterday walking around this festival that still wouldn't be enough. Mm. And from that place of knowing that still wouldn't be enough in the beginning, I feel like it gives me a better starting point to start with like, I can understand it's not going to be enough and I can feel that pain right now and I don't have to just sit trying to fix it all the time. What about that would not be enough? I'd want more. There's something about the soothing effect of having her around that I don't like it when she leaves. And I just think the answer is, well, I just need her around all the fucking time. And that's not going to be enough. Mm. That's not actually going to solve the problem. And I think that's what hit me yesterday was I need to get comfortable with the fact that like we are going to run out of time and that's going to hurt. And I can be okay and feel that and not suffer from it. I don't have to suffer. For, I don't have to push it away. I don't have to cling to it. And I, I don't know. I don't know how that fits in. But when you were talking today, that's what it brought up for me was this thing that's been going on in my life. So there it is. Sounds like if that's how you connected to it, and it sounds perfect. It was sad. I cried sitting at my fire last night about it. But I, <laughs> I was happier feeling it than I would have been in the illusion I was a week ago. I'll say that. Sorry, I didn't mean to. No, <laughs> Bummer us it's, all okay, to it's okay to have a moment of silence. That was, I think that's great that you shared that and you're willing to be vulnerable enough and feel interconnected with us enough. And, and I'm, yeah, I'm not just like saying that. Okay, let's we're doing interconnectedness. Yeah, yeah. Like really, you are. You know, you're able to open up um, and experience some level of boundlessness rather than being the opposite, all bound up. Right. Right. And I think that you know this is a recovery podcast too. So how does that fit into recovery too? I mean, wow whatever recovery program you do, I mean, so much of it's about connection because mm-hmm. people are using whatever their problem is, drugs, alcohol, other things. Um, what we're doing is we're really separating ourselves or working hard in a sense to separate ourselves from that connection, mm-hmm. whether we realize it or not. And so it's one of the first things recovery can give us. Or at least it gave me was that connection, kind of like a forced connection but the connection's always there that's the thing and that's why in zen we talk a lot about realization 
So the connection's always there. I'm already, I'm already, I'm already connected, just like the squash. I just need to realize it, mm. right? And so recovery has really helped me realize connection in a very deep sense. Um, and then for me personally, meditation has just uh, deepened that uh, for me to be able to really experience some level of a loss of self uh, to some degree where you, you, you have, uh, you're getting out of your own way. Yeah. And that reminds me of, uh, it was a couple of years back. Johan Hari did a thing. The opposite of addiction is connection. Um, where they talked about, you know, we think it just means getting off drugs, but really that's not, you know, the opposite of addiction isn't just stopping the drugs. It's what it does to our spirits. You know, we get so totally disconnected from everyone. We get alone and isolated and in that self-centeredness. And, you know, that's kind of reminded me of when you talked about, you know, the connectedness in recovery. It's one of the first things, you know, for me, finding that idea of like a higher power struggling with like that Christian concept of God and we use that word God a lot in recovery was way easier to think of like the higher power as being like the good orderly direction, you know, that we find in the 12 step meetings and using that, you know, connectedness of the group as being part of my higher power. When I, uh, when I asked you to come on and I, I suggested interconnectedness cause I just wanted to hear what you had to say about it. When I learned about interconnectedness, like through recovery what i really loved about it was uh how it made it so much easier to feel love to forgive to find compassion there were like there's so many reasons to believe in and experience interconnectedness for me like it was like an easy sell like what what am i missing what else is there like like i like i just feel like knowing that we're all on the same vine it just makes it easier to live i wouldn't even if say somebody proved that's not even true jenny i'd still want to live believing in interconnectedness because it's just so much more pleasant to to feel like you know we're in it together i can't think of any drawback to like not believing or practicing interconnectedness anybody oh i was about to make a dig or judgment at a group of people um (laughs) of who you could have brought on to get those (laughs) but I, i think there's this like (laughs) <laughs> pull to individual individuality and uniqueness and and mine and you know this is my property and y'all got to stay off like that i think that's the what people would say is the drawback to interconnectedness is like we don't have space for protection almost or for safety that's that's what i think coming from a fear lens because yeah and that's a, yeah exactly well I, I and it doesn't sell me i don't think it sells you either but like I, you know this gets really tricky right i, I talk through this um and then i happen to talk through it especially with females and i feel like that i don't know if we have different takes on it or not mm, run it by me i know so this is interesting <laughs> so we'll talk about this idea of like nothing is mine or there's no belongings or this that and the other and then i feel like the place that the people i'm talking to tend to go is well, what happens when I don't have any right to keep people out of my house or off my property? Like, what are they going to do to me? And that's where I, I don't have an argument against them because I'm like, I really don't want people coming and sleeping on my couch either. <laughs> as much as I love this interconnectedness idea, I also like the idea of locking my door at night. So I, I don't know where to go with that completely. In an interconnected world, can I just 
can anybody come crash on your couch at any night? Or I think that's a think so. very small way to look at yeah, interconnected. Yeah, yeah. I know. That's, what, that's I know. a very small yeah, mind. I'm to go extreme, Dan. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there is like the relative self. Mm. And a lot of people think that Buddhism teaches that there is no self. It, it, it doesn't. Um, there is a self. Uh, we just want to understand more of who we are and just because we're interconnected doesn't mean somebody gets to come sleep on my in my house <laughs> like gangs of people are right, coming around right. right um and yeah i don't even know what to do with that it's like <laughs> such a small like perspective of what that is right so when you're boundless why would somebody need to come stay on my couch you know to express interconnectedness they might need to because they got nowhere to go. That's a different story, but right, right, right. So if I'm literally boundless, um, and to experience some level of boundlessness, then I can let things be how they are. Yeah, and and I think in my in my version of the debate that I'm having with those people, I'm like, well, if everybody's doing this, it works, goddamn. <laughs> but you know, it's hard to sell that to people when we've mm. lived in a society where we have to protect ourselves from safety. The news tells us every day how scared we should be, like. It's hard to tell people, hey, maybe it's actually not that scary on the other side of it. It's such an attachment to certain skandhas or, or parts of yeah, yourself yeah. and embodying those as everything like discrimination and, and you know, conceptualization and thinking. It's thinking that your thinking is you. Mm-hmm. Thinking that your thinking is everything that you are. Mm-hmm. And that's such a small piece of what makes us up. And it's the thinking, really, that gets in the way of realizing and experiencing the interconnectedness. As soon as I start thinking, I'm cutting off uh, to some degree. You know, and it's okay. I need to realize that there's, you know, a car coming this way and a person driving it and maybe they're drifting over. And I need to be able to use thoughts to decide that this is going to have not so much of a beneficial action if I don't move. Right. So there, that does exist, but that's not everything. Mm-hmm. And that's the grasping that this book, Opening the Hand of Thought. Right. So we're opening the hand of thought, releasing it. You know, we can have thoughts. Uh, we can have discrimination. And I'm not talking about discrimination against people that right. look different or, or whatever. You know, discrimination is anything. Like, I like cheeseburgers uh, more than apples. Right. I have discriminated between the two foods. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> You know, um, you know, those are all important, but opening the hand of thought means I'm just not grasping onto this is me. My conviction is me. Mm. How many, especially right now in American culture, like how often do we see that? And it's just total separation. It's putting people in groups. You're either with me or against me. You, if you don't see things my way, there's something fundamentally wrong with you. Yeah. That's like the story of our society right now. Yeah. It's so much grasping onto just a couple aspects of what makes us up. And it's forgetting about, you know, the boundlessness and the and the fact that we are really empty. All those things come together and are fundamentally empty. There is no essence of me that continues to uh, be able to fall back on like mm-hmm. that. So like Akamura Roshi, the abbot of Sanchin, he says, one equals zero equals infinity. So one could be me. I am one at the same time that I'm interconnected. Um, well, when I realize that fundamentally there's this emptiness, which is kind of an unfortunate English or American translation of the word sunyata, 
some Zen teachers want to change the translation of sunyata instead of emptiness to boundlessness, mm. right? So I'm one, and when I realize that I'm actually zero, then what am I? I'm actually infinite. I am, I am only here because of the causes and conditions that form me. That means I am those causes and conditions. That means I'm literally boundless. I'm, I'm everything. And that's infinite. So like, uh, just to try to grasp that on like a, I have not meditated on it for hours level. <laughs> um, basically like the forces in the world, gravity, the way atoms interact together, the way molecules bond and don't bond and where they do this and how they express all these forces that just operate in our world as science that we call are actually us because they're what holds us all together. Change any of them and change any of your conditions and you change. I mean, you're different right now than you are at home with your wife. Yeah. Or when you are when you're by yourself walking down the street. You're a different person. Not according to the integrity episode we just recorded, Dave. Oh, yeah? <laughs> just we, we might be the same when nobody's looking. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I, I, I like that idea a lot. And I like the idea that we, we take this to a place of like, interconnectedness is not a woo woo or or out there fantasy concept like science proves this even you know one of our greatest minds of recent memory einstein was saying oh spooky action at a distance or or entanglement as we now know it that doesn't that's crazy and it does exist like you can entangle molecules on one side of the world to molecules on the other side of the world and they do alter each other's you know positivity or negativity depending on what you do with them so I mean, we know this is a, a real thing, so it's not just some made-up concept that we're we're meditating on. Yeah, and not just that. I mean, we see it in different ecosystems, too. When you start changing different things in different ecosystems, the whole system can break down, you know, and start adding or taking away species from a certain environment. You know, we get all kinds of catastrophic things that happen, and yet we keep doing it over and over and over <laughs> again. We're like, yeah, bring in this a uh, bug because it's going to take care of this problem and then we just wreck shit <laughs> well and then sometimes the environment is doing its change it changes very slowly and it the environment kind of squeezes out the species yeah and it needs to happen right not when we do it <laughs> <laughs> you know So in Sapiens, I mean, if you listen to it there, you actually, they kind of follow through the history of our particular species of Homo sapiens uh, and how we kind of went to all these islands and accidentally did exactly what you're talking about, Billy, and pretty much have wiped out all the variety on Earth. That's what we've done by not knowing our interconnectedness, by not understanding that what we do has an impact on the world around us. And that's, I mean, we've, if you listen to that book, we've annihilated, you know, 80% of what has lived on yeah. our planet. Are you talking about like Talking about species other type or... human species. Oh. I'm talking about all the flowers and, and vegetation oh. that we've destroyed. I'm talking about all the other mammal species we've destroyed. Woolly mammoths. Yeah. We have 80%? 80% of everything wow. that has ever lived. We, we kind of annihilated since we started 15,000 years ago with our farming. <laughs> just, a, just a thought <laughs> about interconnectedness. 
I think that's when awareness is really important and how do we gain that awareness and um, just thinking, 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 thinking is not the solution. Some, some thoughts are important. Some thinking is important, but when we think we're just going to think our way out of it, we're kind of using self to deal with self. And um, I think there's a lot of benefit to opening up. And in Zen, it's, it's, you get a teacher. That's what you do. You get a teacher because otherwise you're going solo. You're, you know, you're bounding yourself up. You're thinking that you know things that you don't. You need a teacher to pull the rug out of under you. In Zen, I mean, that's, that's been my experience too. The Zen teacher's job is part of their job. I don't know, maybe their whole job. I don't know. They do a lot of it is just pulling the rug out of under you. Oh, you think you know something. Rugs out. Show you how you don't. You attach to something else, rugs out, and you get that feeling like, oh, shoot, you didn't validate me, right? I, I thought I, I came in there with an, this idea, I was attached to it, I was grabbing onto it, and and boom, you know, maybe it's a stick, metaphorically. Um, in the old days, it would have been a stick in reality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that that's so important just to give you nothing to grasp onto, and what you become such a bigger self that way um you're so much bigger than just your little tiny thoughts and opinions that you think is you and all the trouble that that brings all the limitations that we apply to ourselves that way and i'm i've got them running through me right now and i'm gonna go out of here today and i'm gonna express a strong opinion about some social thing to my wife and (laughs) it's like like you know Sometimes it's it's important to share opinions and discuss it, but when it's all when it's really who you see yourself as and you're attached to that, it's so limiting. It's so small. We're so much bigger than that. And I think in recovery too, what do we do in recovery? You know, in a, in a lot of recovery programs, we get a teacher, we get a sponsor. <laughs> what does that sponsor do? <laughs> like pulls a rug out of under you a lot. You know, I think you know um, you can use principles to do that spiritual principles like oh you think that's honest huh right are you you being honest right now rug out of under you you know um you know are you being open-minded right now by judging those people by judging those newcomers or whoever you're judging or judging that old timer who has their own opinion about something are you being open-minded right now rug out of under you you know you fall on your butt and you got to deal with that oh now i feel unvalidated then who feels unvalidated right who's the one that wants that validation and how to let go of that because the one that wants that validation is really trying striving for separateness me 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 the self-centeredness is such a small way of thinking um that we all have and i'm not here to talk like i'm totally free from that at all i'm working really hard with that you know so it's i guess i hear just a little slightly different in my head when you talk about it um thinking about this idea not maybe it's not different maybe it's just another piece of it because you said like that piece of us wants to have that separateness and and like what i'm thinking is yeah that's the that's the i hate to use the word because everybody hates it but the the traumatized piece or the hurt piece from before right and that hurt piece says it's not safe to be fucking connected let me be over here separate please and it keeps trying to find adaptive ways to make separateness okay. Um, when you were talking, to, I don't know, it's probably 10 minutes ago now, but 
you're talking about the black and white thinking that comes along with this idea of separateness. And well, I could think of was the, um, so, you know, we talk a lot about the nervous system on here. Another concept to bring into that nervous system conversation is like this adaptive child and functional adult, right? So in a calm nervous system space, I look like a functional adult. There's, there's space for nuance. There's space for Billy to have differing opinions than me. There's all that space, right? But from the adaptive child where I'm still trying to protect and, and it worked when I was six and eight and 12, I'm very black and white. I can't see past this moment. And, and I hesitate to do this because it's a little vulnerable, but whatever. I, I want to share this with y'all. Um, I was in a, a, a therapy session for my own therapy with my daughter and my wife Thursday night. And my daughter was expressing that we had went on a hike a couple weeks ago. Um, God dang, I'm going to get emotional. Sorry. It's okay. Not sorry. Not sorry. I will um, get emotional. Yeah. So, we're on this hike and she says, Hey, um, I want to tell you something. And I'm like, okay. And she tells me that like, she has asked me and her mother for, for some doctor's appointments to check into her health. And we've kind of dropped a ball on getting them done. Right. Um, and my first reaction was, well, you haven't really asked, like you've only kind of half put out there, like, you know, the teenage shit, whatever. But I was defensive. I was defensive because it hurt to think that I was the parent that didn't make these appointments fast enough, right? And here my daughter is being brave and speaking up for herself, and I'm defensive, right? So we we got through it, and we've handled the – I thought I did really well. I was like, I've done so much growth in my life. Look at this, man. I took care of my daughter when she, when she asked. And we're in that therapy session, and she's expressing that that hurt her. And I, and I lost my fucking mind. I'm like, well, you can't ask me for more. I'm doing everything. I'm doing everything I can. I've healed so much. You're asking me for more and I don't have it. And I was crying and I was angry. And my, and my therapist is sitting there like, we're not asking you for more. You're really tense, Jason. What's going on? You're putting so much pressure on yourself. And I could not understand it. I literally thought I was losing my mind from that adaptive child space and that they were all like playing some joke to make me feel crazy. How can you guys not see that I'm doing everything I can? Why do you not get that? And then all of a sudden, in an instant, it broke through. They didn't want more. They just wanted me to say, you know what, Jackie? I'm sorry I was defensive. I don't know how to be any different yet, baby. I love you. That's all. It wasn't more, right? But from that adaptive child black and white space, I couldn't see that. Right. And I had to calm that nervous system and get to the functional adult to say, oh, you don't want more. You're just saying I'm not showing up in a way that feels like I care. That's all. And I can do that. I can say, hey, you know what? When my ego's out of the way, I can say, you know what? I'm sorry, Jax. I didn't mean to be defensive. It hurt me to think that I didn't step up for you. I don't know. That's all I got. How did you get out of that uh, defensive? <sighs> mode uh, you know uh defensive kind of part or person or part of your ego that you were wearing how did you get out of that to this functional adult one i'm still debating that dave honestly uh i'm, I'm debating telling my therapist maybe she should change her methods because i i it felt a little like i went through the hard way or, or the not good way honestly um I felt scared and like maybe even after the session, I was asking my wife, like, should I go fucking check myself in somewhere? Like, I don't feel okay. Um, and that's what makes me wonder if it was, but it was kind of like people just standing there being gentle, reminding me, Hey, we, we care about you. We're not asking you for more. 
And like, it was hard to hear that. And I couldn't, and I, I don't know, somehow it just, I think just the meditation I've been doing for the last couple of years, the practices I've been doing, the self-reflection, the, the goal of, I want to love my family. But I think what was happening was I, I was getting this growth and then I was the one putting so much pressure on myself to live up in a way that showed it. I'm like, I don't have to. I just got to show up this morning. That's it. I got to show up and say, you know what? I, I don't know all about interconnectedness, Dave. Tell me what you know and then I'll hear what Jenny knows and Billy will have some ideas and then I'll leave out of here and I don't need to know it still. It's okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't like, know how that deals with interconnectedness, but it oh, felt I think tidy. it does because it, it prompts a question, you know, of, of who, who is going from the defensive mode to the functional adult mode, yeah. who is uh, showing up um, in the next day or in the next moment, um, who is doing all of that and how our um, attachment to uh, those modes really is what simulates us being cut off and the law I, I believe that in many cases most cases i don't know about all um maybe all in the ultimate sense that the longer we grasp on it it's gonna it's gonna you're gonna run out of energy it's gonna get cracked wide open at some point and the harder we grasp to it the longer we hold on to it the more painful it's gonna be when that when that shit gets cracked wide open and that's okay that's growth but I mean, I like what you said about the meditation aspect of it, because, you know, to talk about interconnectedness is really not interconnectedness. As soon as we start talking about emptiness, it's no longer emptiness. We're filling it with an idea, right? And, and then they talk about, you can say, you can describe enlightenment this way, but I think you can describe a lot of things this way. It's like fingers pointing at the moon, right? Our words and our ideas are the finger, you know, it's the moon that, is is it right so it's all the finger that's pointing at the moon um so that's why what you said i like that you brought in meditation because that's when we quiet the mind and that's that's when you know things change that's when we can crack that stuff wide open or not even attach to it in the first place but to think our way in and out of that um you know that's i, I was hearing a lot of thinking in that situation and like that thinking is grasping. Mm. It is. It just is. That's it. It's just squeezing harder and harder and harder until you got nothing left. <sighs> you know, the experience was like that, too. It <laughs> felt it? like something in my body popped almost yeah. to get through to the other side. That's what it felt. It was like, holy shit, I just burst through to somewhere. But, you know, after the initial uh, 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 almost mental dizziness from it or disorientation, I, I do feel a lot better. But yeah, I think you're right. I think it's been all the practices all along. It's not like I just showed up in that therapy practice and something pushed me through that night. It's been the fact that I've been putting all this effort into my self-care and taking care of me and quieting my mind and trying to experience life instead of thinking about it and trying to see where I'm wrong because I do tend to not look for that in a regular day, right? And I think all those practices have just keep guiding me down this path of like interconnectedness, freedom, love, care, compassion, and away from these old ideals that I used to be very black and white and rigid about. These are what integrity mean. And I must do them every time for me to be an integrity guy. And what I was doing was putting so much pressure on myself. And I don't have to. So is interconnectedness something we can, or we should even practice or try to get better at, or should we just more focus on 
like meditation and quieting our mind and then interconnectedness will happen. Hmm. That's a, that's a really great point. Yeah. Um, because in my, I'm a therapist also, and a lot of what I do in therapy, uh, I'm a therapist right now for veterans and a lot of these veterans have trauma. In fact, all of them have trauma. Um, and one thing that I have noticed is that with trauma, people tend to fixate from more of a single perspective. And maybe it's because that perspective worked in a certain situation. So now I'm applying it everywhere. And um, I've been this guy. And now I've got these guys, mostly guys that I'm treating. Um, some women too, but uh, single. Anyway, they're, they're digging in to this one perspective. And to get them to perspective take is one of the most important exercises that is like one of the first steps to opening up. Right, because words are important too. Doesn't mean we should just get rid of words. They are important. Um, they can, yeah, otherwise, you're just going to sit there. It could take a lot longer of just sitting there staring at the floor, <laughs> you know, without a little words to help you along the way. Right. So, you know, perspective taking, I think, is really important. Am I still answering the question? I think so. Okay, good. So, all right. Um, so, if I have this one perspective and then I'm able to start seeing things through other people's eyes. And then seeing things a myriad of ways through somebody else's eyes, because I don't really know, um, are I feel threatened by somebody, okay, because of their behavior or because how I interpret their behavior, okay, and that's it. I'm just going to sit there and just just be that, right? No, that's a single point perspective, and um, it might not be even what's happening, right? So I can work on what else might be going on. Okay, that person maybe acting that way because they're having a bad day. Maybe they have a migraine. Maybe they were just shit on by somebody. Maybe they're just tired. Maybe, maybe they could be all these things. And all of a sudden what I'm doing is I'm really opening up and I'm taking the weight off of that one single, like defensive or threatened perspective that I'm just holding on to. I mean, I'm opening the hand of that thought and I'm, I'm allowing other possibilities. And I sometimes, especially with these, like, and I'm going to say, it cause I'm a veteran also I'm a Marine Corps veteran like the whole disgruntled veteran thing. I mean, it's, it, it's got some truth to it too. Right. Um, and to watch a veteran who's just been bound up so tight, so much strength put into the single perspective, you know, cause it takes a lot of strength to be in the military and you develop the strength and you hone this strength and maybe you're just putting it all on this one thing and to watch them perspective take, and let's go through these exercises where I'm questioning them. I'm not telling them how to take perspective. I'm using questions, Socratic questioning. Um, do you think there's any other reasons why they might have not said hi back to you when you said hi to them? You know, other than they, they hate you and they want to get you. Right. Well, maybe they are having a bad day. You know, we'll go through that exercise and just to watch the body change. Right in front of your eyes. And many times they're like, wow, thank you. I feel such a release. So, yeah, I think that talking about it um, can be important. And that's interconnectedness right there, just perspective taking to an extent. Yeah, I mean, it's using our cognitive brain to do that, but it is because I'm connected anyway. So if I am feeling threatened and I'm defensive, I'm fully connected. Right. 100%. I mean, <laughs> it's just one big giant fiber optic cable going into my chest. 
literally, you know, like who I am in that moment is dependent on this connection with them. Yeah. Right. So if I can realize and see a larger connection, not only to that, to everything, the sounds in the background, you know, my children at home, the, the, all the various parts that are in that person. Right. So that's the whole IFS thing, internal family systems. So we all have these parts that kind of, you know, we, we rely on everything. So not only am I able to kind of take perspective of hope of parts that I may believe I see in them. So it's just this big connection thing that I can open wide up. And now there's like a million wires going everywhere. And I don't have this one lightning energy going into my chest of like this, you know, single point perspective. so fascinating that you can conveniently point out how the connection between you and the person across the room that you interpret as giving you a dirty look <laughs> and yet we'll all sit in our houses and like judge the other political parties top people and have like this strong hatred for them but then be like oh yeah we're not connected to them at all and like so fucking tied in yeah. if you're reading every news article about how bad the other person you hate is <laughs> you might have a connection to them you're you guys will be in love with them. I mean, you're walking down right. the beach with them. Why don't you're you... spending more time with them than maybe your family. I mean, when you're making Facebook posts about them, it's kind of like a love letter. Yeah. Just saying. And ignoring and ignoring your kids. Right. Yeah. Like I'm not connected. I'm not. I'm not aware of my connection to my kids right now. I'm I'm aware only of my connection to this. Wow, it's fascinating. And how many of us? And I'm. And this isn't to judge the world out there, even though I totally do. This is to judge myself, right? Where am I not seeing it? Because yeah, okay, great. It's there for them. It's places for me, too. I am not, like, fully, you know, untethered from the world or anything. I am not, uh, yeah, <laughs> I got mine, too. And that's that's what I think I need to, to do is, like, where is mine? You know, yeah, we're all doing that. Okay, that's great. Maybe people hearing this can take that home and do something with it. But I don't need to worry about what they take home and do with it. What am I taking home and doing with it? Where's my spots where I'm missing my, my connection because I'm too caught up in something else? Or I'm connected to something else. Yeah. So are there like specific meditation practices that help with interconnectedness or? Um, I know I, I, there's some that I can't really speak to uh, because they're not part of my tradition, but I've done briefly. And, I'll talk about it. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, tell us all that. So there are some in Zen I can bring up, but they're. Go ahead, because there's probably oh. going to be more specific. Okay, so I didn't know that. Zen, you're not allowed to talk about the hard practices? Is that? Not allowed to what? The, the hard practices? So, like, I was going to say... Well, like I can talk about them, oh. but I just don't know enough to publicly speak about them. Oh, okay. Like, you don't know enough, then now I feel like I don't know enough. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but I was going to say, like, in Recovery Dharma, we do the hard practices, uh, like compassion forgiveness uh loving kindness meta. and yeah the meta, that's yeah, what I was yeah you know and for people who don't know what those are it's you're you know like for loving kindness you're sending love to yourself to your close loved ones to a neutral stranger and to the person in the news article that you're hating on you would send love to your enemies too and i think that enforces interconnectedness or 
not enforces. That sounds really bills. mean. Yeah, bills. <laughs> Thanks. So that's what I would have said if you weren't here. <laughs> I do. I do like the one that I've done before, and I'm no authority on this. Somebody has taught it to me a couple of times, um, where I'm like, I'm just so bound up about like an enemy, somebody I perceive as an enemy. And boy, have I had some enemies. Uh, at least that's how I see it. And where you are. I'm just so bound up. I have to do something. And I, yes, I know Zazen sitting there just the breath or working on these other practices or one thing. But I just in this moment, I started doing this one practice. that I, I don't want to say who I think it's by. Maybe it's Tibetan. Anyway, where you suck in all the dark cloud off of them and blow out the light. Is that Tong Lun? Um, I think so, yeah. but okay. I don't know. I've um, actually tried that too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like it's that. it's it's a I think it's a good practice. I dig it. Um, I think it's a good practice. So in Zen, uh, we so it's again it's a lot of the rug being pulled out of under you. So one way to practice is uh, koans, which um, that's a whole other thing. But koans are these statements or kind of small stories um, that don't make a lot of sense typically with the logical mind. Um, they don't like you know like meditating squash. Yeah, <laughs> I got one. I got one. I'll bring it. Bring it. Yeah, go it? ahead. Bring it. So the the one I heard that I I remember off the top of my head, and this I'm gonna butcher it a little bit, but the, the you're hanging in a tree, um, by your teeth, I think. Yeah. And then somebody comes up at the bottom of the tree, and the tree's hanging over a cliff. So if you fall, you die. Right? You can't let go. But then somebody comes up with basically a gun and says, "I'll shoot you if you don't let go with your teeth." And you have to decide the answer. That's did I do that justice, Dave? <laughs> Jenny, somebody close enough. I haven't close heard that one. Close enough. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. um, I like that. One. You know, and I mean, there's like famous one of has a dog, the Buddha nature, and the master says "mu," um, which can mean no thing or no in Chinese. Uh, that's like kind of a classic one to start with. Um, but everybody knows that dog does have Buddha nature, and so why is he saying no? And then in another version of that, he says, yes, so now give me an original answer. Hmm. Um, And so you wrestle with it, and you chew on it, and you just, in your meditation, you repeat it over and over again. You might even just walk around your house and everything you do all day, every day, cleaning dishes, saying moo, moo, just wrestling with this and trying to figure it out. And eventually you exhaust that logical mind. And... um, and as soon as you exhaust it, just like, boom, often it hits you in the face. That's what happened Thursday night. Yeah. My you logical exhausted mind that. had nowhere else to That go. was like a koan. I was at the end. Yeah. How can y'all be asking for more, but you're not asking for more? So that, that logical mind was getting in the way yeah. of your interconnectedness, of seeing reality for closer to what it actually is, for seeing more of what your true self is. It was getting in the way of all these things. It was getting in the way of your whole life. Right. It's getting in the way of you experiencing the universe which you already are right just that logical mind you know such a small part of our minds and we want to live in that part and there's a much bigger mind than that our minds are much bigger um just to be able to realize that so uh, but also if you there's a shikantaza which is just sitting where um the sangha the school i'm in now doesn't really do koans um you know, they say it's 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 just something else to grasp onto, and so you can do that by just sitting too. Okay, am I sitting? 
now I'm counting my breath, let go of that. Am I paying attention to my breath? That's a good place to, to get present. Even get to the point of letting go in that, letting go of that. And um, if you do that long enough and with enough intention, you know, you should be able to open up. Hmm. And then you can go to your teacher and say you have an answer. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then, they'll, like, then they'll pull the rug out of under you. It's like walk away all sad and deal with that. <laughs> How do you think this idea of interconnectedness could be applied I don't want to just put time frames with like early in recovery, but like, how could we use this? How could people who are listening today who are saying, okay, it sounds like a neat idea, interconnectedness, but like, what am I going to get out of it? Uh, what's the point? What am I going to, you know, I don't want to spend two years meditating every day just to feel more interconnected if it's not going to do anything for me. So what, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. Cause these, these people in this podcast sure are using a whole lot of words, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, describing stuff and opinions on things. Yeah. So how do we experience and use it and make it practical? Uh, that's great. Um, really, and I see this, you know, I have sponsees or whether it's somebody new in the program, even sponsees that I've had that have been around a while. I do that. I've done this maybe more lately than in the past is comparing out comparing out kills people and what i mean by comparing out uh, for those who haven't heard that kind of cliche type uh, na language or 12-step language comparing out is when you're going to meetings to experience interconnectedness and all the benefits of that um when you say well i'm not like them i wasn't as bad as them um i you know maybe i can compare out because of physical attributes that i find that that are well, I didn't take it that far. You know, they might have some obvious physical ailments that may have come from a hard life. And I'm not that, you know, all day. And you hear some people letting, letting it out, they're venting and it sounds nuts and everything like that. Well, I'm not that. I mean, gosh, that's just a discriminating mind right there. And just being in that is going to create the illusion of separation. And I, I mean, I, I can literally name people, which I won't, that comparing out, I believe, was the first step in their death, in overdosing, in using, in dying. So comparing in, finding those similarities. And this goes for old timers, too. <laughs> I mean, it's real easy. I mean, especially with kind of, in my opinion, from my perspective, especially with the new wave of, of drugs out there and how hard they hit people. Um some things kind of look a little different than they used to. But I'm talking to other people too, and they're like, wow, you know, this is, I mean, it's some of it looks like a more extreme version of what we've seen in the past or something. It's just really the harm and, you know, how it's affecting people. And it can be easy with, you know, 13 years clean, you know, to, to be like, hey, you know, I'm not that. I'm going to go somewhere else or I'm just going to go do other things really when, um, recovery is like the roots for me. If I don't, sometimes my recovery is hidden, you know, the actual going to meetings and things like that. Um, but if I don't water that stuff, then everything else starts to die. Um, cause everything else, there's so many wonderful other things now too, but really the comparing in and then the ability to open up to others too. So as soon as I compare in, 
and practice that, next thing you know, I can share the crazy stuff and get it off my chest and then feel silly about it afterwards and think about it for the next six months. And, oh, I should have said that. But then I talk to other people and, you know, maybe somebody comes up after and they're like, you know what? Like, I was there too. I totally thought that way, you know? Um, And and then you're like, wait a minute. It's safe to share a little craziness and to let those thoughts out. Um, And then what, what a wonderful way that it manifests too. I mean, holy shit, I've never been to a place where I've got a physician, a judge, a construction worker, a home, someone who's experiencing homelessness, uh, somebody in a band, somebody struggling to find work, a social worker. I mean, we can go on and on and on and on about all these people all in one place, hanging out with each other and choosing our, each other's company, maybe more often than other people that you know, on the surface we can relate to than choosing their company. I mean, oh my gosh, right now I could call, you know, any number of people from very different walks of life and have a truly intimate conversation that might save my butt in that moment, or maybe I'm saving their butt, or maybe we're just enjoying each other. Maybe we're know? just being interconnected. Exactly. I mean, I could go on and on about the interconnectedness mm-hmm. of that. I think those are some of the, the most exciting ways that it expresses in recovery. I got another one to add too. I think interconnectedness helps with the amends process when you can um, drop your ego enough to say sorry or to, to own what you did as a different person. Like, cause I think even in the example you shared from Thursday night, like that sounded to me like an ego dropping. Mm -hmm. And then you brought in the Zen, uh, the Zenny, like uh, who, who was that coming from? Which, you know, who, Zenny. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I get in trouble when I'm Zenny. Uh, but I mean, like, you know, if you can like let that shell go and uh, make your amends to people, which in 12 steps really helps you, you know, I I think that's beneficial to recovery, too. So do you guys? Billy, that? <laughs> yeah, no, no. Billy asked, like, how do we practice? How do we kind of practice interconnectedness and Zen? And what you're saying is a perfect example by, by negating something. So we, we negate a lot. That's not it. That's not it. That's not it. You know, who are you? Um, I'm Dave. No, that's just your name. Right. Uh, I'm a psychotherapist. That's just something that you do. Uh, I'm a dad. That's still something that you do. And and you, and I encourage everybody just to do this the rest of their life because maybe you'll find out who you really are. Um, and it starts with finding out who you're not and humbling yourself, especially by making amends is such a powerful way to humble yourself by dropping that, you know, dropping that ego part, that defensive part, that fear part, um, that part that wants to control. I mean, when you humbly make amends for some fucked up shit, I mean, what a vulnerable, pure kind of place to be. I've been fucking around with this idea lately in my head about, so we, I want to say arbitrarily, I get it. We make the distinction of self or, or separate entities between Dave and Jenny because we see them as two people, right? But like inside Dave, there's a bunch of different organs that are acting together. And then inside those organs, there's a bunch of different cells acting together. And then inside the cells, there's a bunch of different atoms acting together. And like, why do we make the distinction of separation at the person level 
like maybe we shouldn't, right? So I was kind of rolling that around in my head and I was like, what if I started living, and I'm not saying this is necessarily the truth or anything, but what if I started living as if we are all one human being? That's the level of separation. We separate us from nature maybe. And we're all one. We're just one organism. And like now I'm a liver and Dave's a heart and Jenny's a lungs and you know Billy's a foot, whatever. Like we're all pieces of that. Like why is that any different? And why am I just automatically assuming the distinction that we make that we're different because we're people is true. So I was like, okay, so now we're all one human being. And maybe then I was like, well, actually, it probably doesn't make sense because we're still shitting on our world. We should probably just be one organism as the earth, really. And I don't know. It just from that place, if I truly, quote unquote, believe that, that we are one human and not seven trillion of us, I act a lot differently. And I was like, huh, is there any fault in this way of thinking? Is there any is there any science that says we definitely need to divide between Billy and I? That's where the distinction of separation or uniqueness comes in. There's not. It's an arbitrary place we decided to do it. I mean, I get it. It looks like it's the place to do it, but I don't know. Just an interesting idea. Oh, yeah, I agree with you. I cho- Like, I, I choose to live believing in interconnectedness. I mean... Not perfectly. Right, we talked right. about that in the other yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. But you don't have to. Don't yeah. be so hard. But it's just it's more comfortable. It's just it's just a nicer for me, it's just a nicer way to believe, experience, live. I just I prefer But then it. isn't that and this is I hate to say going back to the other episode, but isn't that getting rid of all our authenticity then? Good just question. Be a part mm-hmm. of everything. Well, here's here's the problem, right? Authentically, I think all four of us would say I don't want to destroy this planet. I think we authentically believe that. We don't want to ruin this planet. It's our home. It's where we live. We want our kids to be able to live here. We don't want, you know, anything to go wrong with it. So collectively, we all believe that authentically. And yet when I am not living interconnected, what I say is, and, and, and these aren't true statements, people who are listening. I'm just using the names of the people in the room. But like I say, Jenny litters. She doesn't care Jenny. about the environment. I throw my trash in the trash can. I do care about the environment. And the truth is, we're both polluting the fucking world. And because I see us as separate, I can judge her and say my standpoint is good. But we're all polluting the world. I'm littering. I'm just putting it in my trash to go to a place to go somewhere else to go in the ground. So we don't have to look at it. Right? So like authentically, I get to move away from my authenticity when I believe I'm disconnected from the, the world I'm living in. Whereas if I believe I'm connected to this world and all these people, then I understand that Jenny's doing nothing different than me. She throws her trash on the ground right out front, but we're all throwing our trash on the ground. Does that make sense? Did it not answer your question? It makes sense. I don't know. I agree with it. And I don't know if it's worth getting into a debate about trash, but, (laughs) (laughs) but yes, I get your point. Okay. Yeah. I follow you. I'm kind of curious though. Well, like if I go out into a state park or a nationally protected area, I don't want to be throwing trash all around and destroying the earth. I think that's very different than me putting my trash into my trash can and having it. I'm taking the idea that whoever's taking that trash is doing what they're supposed to be doing with the trash. Maybe that's but, naive. Or but a what bit. are we supposed to do with it? Because it all goes back to being buried in the earth. And it's all evidence that every time we buy a, a stuff from the world, we had to destroy the world to get that stuff and produce it. Correct. But my kid 
plays Little League, and when we go to the Little League field and there's syringes and shit down in the dugout, that's very different mm. than hypodermic yeah. needles being disposed of in a proper safe disposal area. Like, uh, there's there's differences. <laughs> I don't want to laugh. But and, yeah. and that's and it's very sad. <laughs> no, and that's fair. And look, I don't I don't want the kids to be harmed by the the IV, you know, left behind. I'm not saying that, but at a at a base level, in my mind, the interconnectedness says. It's easier when it's out of sight and I can let my ego do well and say our society is fine because I don't have to see it in front of me, right? But the truth is I'm still doing it. It's just out of sight, so I don't have to own it. Yeah, well, I agree. There's a lot of that that happens, and I think with especially with like homelessness and addiction and things like that where we think if we push that to certain areas or can shove that into certain neighborhoods – we don't have to deal with it as a society. Yeah, definitely. We do a lot of that. But if you're putting it in the appropriate receptacle and other people see that and are more likely to put it in the appropriate receptacle, and now we're all hopefully you know, focused on you know, bettering the environment and bettering the place, you know, then yeah. we can run with that. So I don't think that this should negate personal responsibility, interconnectedness. I think that there is an I that needs to be responsible for my actions at the same time. So the Buddha taught a middle way. And you can get super in, in, think thinking in a super interconnected kind of delusional way, you know, <laughs> that turns into like nihilism or something, right? And nothing that really matters. Um, but that's not the way either. There, there is a relative self. And I'm responsible for that and what it does. Um, and it's the same self that that could be like, I go help somebody, but what am I really doing? And like, I'm going to help you. What can I do to help you? I have pity for you, right? Um, you know, that's, that's self-centeredness as well. When um, beneficial action can be, you know, just what you do. Right. There is compassion. There's interconnectedness. Because as soon as I am taking pity on someone and I'm acting out of this place of pity, I'm putting myself above them and they are lower than me. And I'm already creating delusion and separation in my mind. Right. When when really I am them and they are me on this interconnected level. And therefore, um, I think Akamura Roshi said this. It's like washing your hands. Like I don't like look at my hands and say, oh, you poor hand. I'm going to wash you. Right. Oh, is that better hand? Right. So I just wash my hands. Right. It's beneficial action. I just do it. Um, so I think it's real important not to get to too extreme in, in kind of black and white thinking. Um, and there's a teacher ascension. Her name is Hoko, and she has this great quote that I, I really appreciate. And I'm wrestling with it. Uh, I'm not saying I have I fully embody it or I have it all figured out, but it really kind of gets me thinking, and it even opens it up even farther because if I am just so far on one side of thinking, then really I'm also closing myself off. I'm not being open. Um, so Hoko says, seeing one reality from two sides and expressing two sides with one action. So there is this one self, this one connected with everything, but there's also on the other side of that, there's me who is doing the thing, who's responsible for what I'm doing, whether I'm littering or not. And it's, it's right. the same. And so how, it's one reality. And so how do I see that one reality from two sides 
and expressing those two sides with one action. Can I take that into my scenario? Because I think Please. I, okay. Yeah. So that's one of the things I'm thinking about because this litter thing has kind of been on my mind lately is we're losing interconnectedness, I think, by the way we're doing it, quote unquote, right. Right. Because when I throw all my trash in the right places, the right places, the trash can to go be taken to the right places. Right. What I what I think is I'm doing my part to save the world. I'm not littering. I'm doing good stuff. But what I think I understand now is that all that trash is still going somewhere to go into the world. It's still going to poison it. Right. And what I'm actually doing is giving myself the ability to ignore the harm I'm doing to the world. Because it's not in my sight like it is for the person who just throws it right on the ground. I actually almost feel like they're doing us more of a service by throwing it on the ground because we're saying, oh, shit, that's what we're doing to the world. But being able to see both of those sides and understanding, like, we got to live in this world. The best thing I know how to do right now is throw trash away. That's all I got for my best methods. But even though I think this other thing might be true and trying to hold those two spots, what I've decided is my place of action needs to just be to buy less. That's the way I can save the world in that in that problem I'm having, right? I can just not use as much. That works. Okay. Now I feel like I'm doing my part. I don't have to wrestle with what's right or wrong. I can just do what I think makes the situation better the way I see it. Does that fit what you were just saying? I think so. Okay. You know, and, like and just really, I mean, what are you going to do? Get rid of your house, walk around naked? and um, Does it bring more happiness? Maybe. <laughs> You know, or does it bring more suffering? Yeah, I don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. And we've got a lot of great things about this world that we have created as humans that uh, reduce suffering as well. And so just to toss all those things, um, think about disease and, you know, how, you know, parents would die in their 20s because they get eaten by a lion or they'd get sick or they'd break their foot. That was a death sentence uh, at a certain point in our history. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Broken bones, a death sentence. Um, so the middle way and, you know, doing beneficial action, uh, and realizing that no matter what I do, I'm going to cause harm too. I mean, whether it's eating meat or eating vegetables, driving a car. Yeah. We can go down all those, those routes, you know, some people will refuse meat because they think it's harmful. Well, you know, if you look at the harm that, you know, we don't have to go down this route. But if you look at the harm that, you know, uh, just veganism and... and Large-scale agriculture. Yeah, it does. No-crop agriculture. Not saying one's worse or better, but it's there, right? right? So no matter what we're going to do is harm the ideas to reduce it and live in this middle way. Otherwise, we're trying to control something that we can't. Any final thoughts about interconnectedness, theories, questions, anything that came up that we want to make sure we talk about before we... I think it is easy to take it to an extreme. I know at points in my life, I've actually, uh, and still, I think I romanticize the idea of like, well, we should just all go live in like a commune in Oregon and like live together and live off the land and, and do this stuff. And, you know, it's like, I don't know, it still sounds beautiful. I don't know how practical it is in today's reality. Um, cause it seems like you hear horror stories about all those things too, <laughs> but, but yeah, it is easy to take that idea that. Uh, if we all just lived with each other in this mass harmony, then everything would be perfect. And I just don't think that's reality either. I don't know. 
because I'm I got some plans. I might come. I know. Let's talk. Dave, let's yeah, talk, Billy. Don't don't forget names of friends. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. that might be effective. I want on, on the mailing coming. list. <laughs> it is, it is tempting going around. Yeah, it is tempting, sure. and you know when you. It, but also in a in, in a more immediate sense, you know, when we come together with people that are there to help mm. each other, you know, what, what, like in recovery, pretty much most everybody is there to to help themselves and each other in some way right i mean sure people can get off track and it cannot look like that but who was who would go to a damn recovery meeting <laughs> like for other reasons right? it might happen you can always find an example but really like i'm actually thinking i've seen this <laughs> well and most of the time if you went to one of those meetings and looked and and sort of could like see whatever i'm going to call it like the rap sheet of each of those people like in front of them you know their laundry list of shit they've done you would probably think I don't want to be around these fucking people. But, you know, when you go and you can let those mm. prejudgments down, you allow beautiful relationships and beautiful things to happen with some pretty fascinating people. And everybody is usually some version of their best self. Mm. And it might not agree with what I think a best self is at the moment, but, you know, it is, right? And that's one of the things about having a group, having small communities like this and Zen for me, I mean, when I go to Zen, I've got a meditation group. I'm going to plug it real fast. Yes, it's all right. Always, um, always. Just, just, you know, we don't advertise too much, but it, I want people to know about it. So yeah. it's called empty circle meditation. That's empty circle meditation. It's in Perryville, Maryland, every Sunday at 3 PM at impact martial arts, big red karate sign, 3 PM. Beginners are welcome. We've got a website, empty circle or org. The website is kind of a little half broken right now. I'm trying to figure it out. We also have a Facebook page. But when I go there, you know, when I'm going to, a, you know, another Zen center or something, and everybody's really just on at their best, too. And, and it just shows, like, what we can do. Mm. Uh, and I think it's so important to experience that. Otherwise, for me personally, I'd be out in a world where people, it's hard to sometimes see that, that they're at their best. <laughs> And whether they are or not, it can be very difficult to see. So we go to these places where people are going to, to, for beneficial action for themselves and, you know, other people around them. Hmm. It's an important thing to experience. Some people miss out on that. Gosh. And some people I'm like, oh, I don't want you to use drugs or drink too much. But if you could just get recovery somehow, <laughs> you'd be so much happier. Right. Well, I think interconnectedness is amazing. It's something I, I think that has been... I want to say accidentally, but just kind of coming into my life more and more, the more I meditate, the more I, I listen, the more I hear, the more I try to be more open, the more I'm trying to do personal development and growth and, and healing. And, you know, this idea just keeps coming to me more and more. And, and I like the idea that, it, you know, it's already out there and people are talking about it and I didn't discover it and I can learn and figure it out even better. Can I end with a reading? Please. And I, I appreciate what you just said, too. I do. Um, all right. So this is the, the Zen teachers kind of follow up about the, the squash story. Okay. All right. Um, to be sure it is a fact that ordinarily we live in a small individual body that we call I, we think that this small individual body is our self imagining that we are this or that, but self as the reality of life is not simply this individual body. It has to be something more than that. 
For example, the force that makes my heartbeat sends blood flowing through my whole body and allows me to breathe so many times per minute. It is not something that I control or activate. The power that performs these functions works completely beyond my thoughts. Can we say this power is not me because it comes from beyond my thinking mind? It is neither a higher power nor some other power, nor is it my personal self power. It is the energy of life. As long as this power is working within me, it is surely the reality of my life. This holds equally true for the thoughts and ideas that arise in my head. They are my thoughts, but they are very, but the very power that allows them to arise transcends them by far. However, even while saying that this power is transcendent beyond my thoughts, as long as it is actually functioning within me, it is surely the reality of the self-functioning in as me. While the reality of the life of the self exists beyond the thoughts of this individual, it is at the same time the very power actually functioning as this small individual. Just as it is with me, so it is with you. The self as an individual entity, along with the contents of the various thoughts of this entity, takes for granted that each such entity is a self. And in terms of the thoughts of each individual, they are indeed distinct. But the power of life that enables us to think in various ways and that functions inside each individual goes beyond the thoughts of the small I. And in this sense, it is all pervading. Just as the story of the squashes that realizes that they were living out the reality of one life when they followed the vine attached to the top of their heads. We have to say that in this sense, all existence, all living beings are living out the power of one great all-pervading life. What that story reminds me of, or at least what I was what came up inside of me when you were reading that story was this idea that like I will go out into the world today after this episode. I got to run an errand. I got to go home and rest a little. I got to go to the grocery store later. I'll forget this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I'll forget that, that like my finger moves and wiggles when I think I want it to. Right. I'll forget that gravity keeps me here. So I don't float the fuck off to the sun and burn up. I'll forget that all this shit in life is happening and working and the and the trees are taking my oxygen and giving it or or taking my carbon dioxide and giving it back to me so I can breathe it again. Like all this shit already kind of works just like it's supposed to. And I will walk out of here and forget all that and think I know the right ways to live. It's I figured it out. I got it all done. Y'all are fucking it up. (laughs) Right. When really I could just say, man, this energy of life seems to be doing just a fine job on its own. And maybe I can just, you know, contribute and fit in where I can, I guess. Um, That's what it reminds me of. Interconnectedness. By the way, all of our episodes are interconnected. So go listen to all of them uh, (laughs) while you're out there this week. One continuous flow. Yeah. It's all (laughs) one conversation. We keep saying the same shit uh, in different ways. Anyway, um, Dave, thank you for coming on. Thank you, Dave. Uh, Always your life go well. Yeah. 
go out there, try to just try to be open to the idea that maybe you're not disconnected from everything else. See you next week. Did you like this episode? Share it with people you think might get something out of it. Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us. <laughs>